and welcome to another episode of the Our Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua. I am your host. And today's episode is getting back into the rhythm of things for season five. Season five is all about looking at a more commentary approach to the Bible, starting with the Sermon on the Mount, and then getting into other passages specifically that look at the relationship between the Christian and the state or the Christian and secular society and how a Christian should act, how a Christian should live, these types of things, uh, how what kind of worldview is built from a biblical perspective. And so we started the Sermon on the Mount and got to the Beatitudes, and well, I guess we started with the Temptations of Christ, got to the Beatitudes, starting the Sermon on the Mount, and we left off with, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, and we will pick up with the next one today. And then in the meantime, we did uh, presentations from Agorafest 2023, which covered natural health and alternative living and living off-grid, food and diet, natural, real food, that kind of stuff. And so those are all done, and now we're getting back into the regularly scheduled program. Another thing to note is that uh, my life is extremely hectic and crazy and busy right now. So if you have noticed, these episodes have been a little more spread out than they used to be. I used to do this every week and then switch to every other week whenever uh, I moved and started setting up a small farm and basically started a startup business and on and on and on. And so lately, those things have uh, not cooled down. They have actually gotten even more busy and time-consuming, and so I am still attempting to keep this as regular as possible. The goal would be every other week there is an episode, but at least temporarily, that might not actually happen. It might be more like once a month, or maybe not. Maybe it will be every other week. I really hope so, but there's no telling right now. I am in an extremely busy season, and so that's just the way it is. I will do what I have time to do, and I really enjoy doing this, and I appreciate those that are listening and enjoy uh, looking into this and doing this deep dive uh, that we're going over here. And so hopefully I can continue to present that on a fairly regular pace, but even if not, it will be coming out. There just might be more time gaps in between episodes than usual. So with that said, let's get into the verse where we are starting in. And this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. And this is coming from the complete Jewish Bible that I use, uh, mainly just because they go off of the Hebrew and don't change names, and the translation seems to be very good. Uh, Doesn't really matter in this passage, because it is just, how blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So, seems very simple. Now, going over this, uh, like all these other Beatitudes, these things can be interpreted in many different ways. Uh, They pretty much all can be interpreted multiple ways. So, mourning, just like being poor in spirit, could mean many things. One of the most common, and my default, is mourning in reference to an anguish over the acts, effects, and evils of sin. This would be a spiritual mourning and could be a positive in that we recognize the lack of God's perfection and his ways on earth. 
it could also be a negative in that we are focusing on the fallen aspects of the world instead of the hope and assurance that God provides. So again, not only can the words themselves be interpreted different ways, like mourning or poor in spirit, or uh, we'll get into others after this, but also they can be looked at in a dual perspective where uh, they can be positive or they can be negative, or is it possible that the passage is saying both things at the same time in one sentence? Um, Yes, in the Bible, that does happen actually quite a bit. So that is one option. There is also at least a nod to the secular sense of mourning being sadness. It could be on the positive side that one is mourning because they have experienced maybe loss and are affected really deeply because of that love that they had for uh, something that they lost or someone that they lost. This secular sense of the word mourning could also be looked at in the negative in that one feels hopeless and downtrodden, depressed due to whatever their secular circumstances are. Maybe they uh, don't have enough money. Maybe their house is falling apart. They don't have the money to fix it. Maybe their child is sick in some way. There's lots of different things that you know one can be sad or depressed or downtrodden over, and uh, that's a possible interpretation here as well. So another aspect of dualism would be to apply this to oneself or to others. Either one is still mourning, whether it's over their own condition or whether it's over the condition of others. Again, I personally believe that all of these interpretations hold true which is interesting, really cool, uh, but also it's, it's something that does not exclude these various aspects. A lot of people would say, oh, well, mourning is over the effects of sin, and it's clear, and this is what it is. Uh, but then you miss out on all these other meanings for what else this could mean, and biblically does mean. If we go into other passages throughout Scripture, look at biblical principles, all of these can hold up that God does come closer to those who are truly mourning and uh, regretting their sinful nature. God also does answer prayer and help and comfort those who are mourning over the state of sin in the world. So whether it's your sin or others' sin. It is also true that when people hit rock bottom, a lot of times you have someone who is not a believer, they hit rock bottom, they turn to God, they ask for help, and often God does help them, and he does answer them, and they can turn their life around, turn that over to God, and a lot of things, a lot of times, really cool things happen in their lives. So there's that secular aspect as well. And it could be that, well, it is that every single one of these is true. And so, again, when you narrow yourself down to saying, oh, this only means this, that is narrowing down the principles that are highlighted in this one simple small passage. Now, on the other side of things, it does not mean anything and everything. You cannot interpret blessed are those who mourn in a way that contradicts biblical principles. That is not the way you do things. That doesn't work. And so you do have to be careful. You can't just make up all kinds of things. Oh, it could mean this, and it could mean that, and it could mean this over here. Um, That just doesn't work. So you do have to double check and cross-reference and make sure that all of these things align with biblical principle. But that is something that I found with the Beatitudes in particular, 
is that the majority of potential interpretations do all play out according to scripture. And so that's something that's really cool. And it pulls out lots of different um, aspects and different things to focus on. So all of these perspectives point to a lack of human control and a surety of God's control. That's the, the main theme here. So no matter which one you go with, whether it's uh, focusing on yourself or focusing about others, whether it's a positive thing or a negative thing, whether it's religious or secular, whatever you interpret this as, it all comes down to this point, that there is a lack of human control and God is truly, surely in control. That is the main point. And we are not good enough and neither are others. But instead of dwelling on and also wallowing in these negative effects, we are to rely on the hope and the promises of God that he will comfort us. This will happen in our current lives as well as in the time of judgment. So that's another uh, dualism going on there is that these things apply to the here and now and they apply to the time to come. It's both, both and. And so when we look at this in relation to um, how do we assess the state? Uh, what is what is government? What is the state? And how is the Christian to relate to this? We're to obey them, but we're also to obey God uh, over the state. And so what does this look like? Well, if we assess the state according to these principles and these themes, the state does not mourn over its own sin. Uh, what a shock. Instead, it actually relies on it. So it's not just that it doesn't mourn. It, it is that the state that capitalizes on the things that it should be mourning over. It causes the things that it should be mourning over. It is systematic. The things that the state should be mourning over, that a Christian should mourn over, those things are systematically ingrained into what the state is. So for an example, I've, I think I've read this quote before, but this is from Mike Pompeo, who was the former United States Secretary of State and former Central Intelligence Agency Director, so CIA. When I was a cadet, what's the cadet motto at West Point? You will not lie, cheat, or steal, or tolerate those who do. I was the CIA director. We lied, we cheated, we stole. We had entire training courses. It reminds you of the glory of the American experiment. And if I remember right, that was he was talking to a group of cadets or a graduation ceremony or something like that, and uh, just explaining, laying it out there that this is what they do. And it's, it's not a secret. That's kind of the whole point of the intelligence agencies is that it is secret, that everything they do is secret, and that they do lie, that they do um, participate in propaganda and overthrow foreign governments and assassinate people. And they do all these kinds of things that uh, very clearly are contrary to the biblical principles that we find in uh, in the scriptures. So the state glories in its achievements, and it glories in achieving its goals through sin. When there is a secular tragedy, the state doesn't mourn in sadness, but rather becomes a light in anger and revenge. Tragedy is often used to achieve its goals, at times an orchestrated tragedy, and at times a conveniently timed unplanned event. And uh, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. There is so much planning for the unknown future through war game scenarios, think tanks, mass simulations, etc., that there isn't even the chance for mourning when tragedy strikes because the machinery of the state is pre-programmed and ready to act before the event even occurs. 
That's why they do all those things. There, there is no comforting something or someone who doesn't mourn. It, it, that's just, there's nothing to comfort. We should not glorify the state or revel in patriotism. To do so means rationalizing evil instead of mourning its existence. We are to call out the evils of the state, recognize the sinful actions of individuals involved, and acknowledge the corrupt institutional structure that perpetuates this evil. And so it's, it's pretty clear when you look at this that the state does not live according to the principles of any of the interpretations of this beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. It just doesn't. Uh, and yes, uh, surprisingly enough, that will be true of pretty much all of these, uh, all of these. So the next beatitude would be Matthew chapter five, verse five, how blessed are the meek for they will inherit the land. So one who is meek is patient, long suffering and gentle with ample self-control. This may be applied to being patient in this fallen world for the hope of God's promises to come uh, to fruition. It could be the application of turn the other cheek when dealing with insult or abuse. You have that self-control over your actions and how you act. It could be a negative thing as well, and that we aren't taking on the confidence and active role demanded of us as Christians. Instead, we're meek in a negative way. Uh, maybe we are slow to call out evil or stand up for the weak, and that is a negative meekness. But regardless, we are to neither provoke or be provoked to evil. We are to endure rather than commit evil. We are to be the opposite of evildoers with evil goals and plans, or fools with their rash reactions. We are to be the opposite of these things. And that's the whole point there, is that regardless of how you interpret this, secular, biblically, uh, positive, negative, either way, it's the same principle that we are to neither provoke nor be provoked to evil. We are to be the opposite of evil and the opposite of these evil people. Now, there's another cool thing with this aspect of meekness is there's a, a poem, and I forget what it is or who it is, and yeah, I probably should have looked that up ahead of time, but uh, it exists, and you could uh, probably do a search online and find it pretty well. But the, uh, the point of it is this idea of meekness, and it compares it to a war horse, that a war horse has this strength. It has this potential. It has this, this ability to do uh, crazy things and to uh, basically power over anything in its path. However, that war horse, before it is time to gallop forward, is holding all of that in restraint has complete self-control, is completely reliant on and submissive to its rider, and that that is the idea of meekness. Meekness is not being weak. Meekness, on the contrary, is being strong, but having that strength in check, under self-control, and being patient and long-suffering and gentle, even though you have that potential to explode and be powerful and all of these things. And so uh, those are things that should be held in check. And it's not that a Christian should never be uh, powerful and uh, express the, the power and potential that someone has. It's that that should only be done in certain circumstances. And that in general, we are to be meek where we hold that in check. We have total self-control 
and we would only let out some strong expression in these types of ways when the situation is one that calls for that, and that in general, most situations do not. Again, if you look at the life of Christ, and we are told over and over again in Scripture that we are to mimic Christ and how he lived, then you can see that, yes, there were times that he used his power and his potential in many different ways, but the vast majority of the time when he was insulted, when he was abused, when he came across corruption, uh, there were lots of times when he did not do anything. There were lots of times when he took the abuse himself. However, typically, when that corruption, those insults, that abuse were directed towards God, that was usually when he decided to use his uh, potential. And that, that, that was the more exclusive time that he would act out in his power. And if you look at uh, the idea in the Old Testament as well, as far as how the nation of Israel was to act towards its neighbors and the people it came across, you can see that although Israel was commanded to go to war with certain people, kick them out of the land and take over, at the same time, the people that God specifies that Israel is to kick out or take over or attack or whatever, those people were not just the enemies of Israel. Israel had many other enemies, aside from the ones that God told them to kick out. However, there is nothing in there that commands Israel to start taking out all of its enemies and saying that that's good or that's something that they should do. No, what God commands them to do is take out his enemies, the enemies of God himself. So again, it's it's this principle of not seeking out revenge, or acting out on something that uh, spawns from someone personally, or even from a nation itself, but instead that we are to use our potential, we are to use even the potential, our collective potential, we are to be meek, and we are to wait, we are to be self-controlled, and we are to let that out in times when we are standing up for God, not when we are standing up for ourselves. And uh, sometimes those do overlap, yes. But that is the principle that exists there. Now, when we look at the state, the state creates and carries out evil plans to alter the world in its own image, according to its timeline. It uses force and coercion to do so, rather than gentle patience and true love, as uh, this beatitude is uh, referring to with this idea of meekness. We are not to steer society or force anything on other individuals. That's the whole point of free will. That's uh, leaving justice to God. We are not to support anyone or anything that does so. Uh, we, we shouldn't. What does light have to do with darkness? We are to be meek with self-control. We are gentle, patient, and long-suffering. We manage our own feelings and actions and let God manage others. And that's how we're supposed to do things. However, again, when you look at the, the, the structural aspect of the state, you look at it from that structural perspective and how the state operates, it, it does the exact opposite. The state is not sitting back with uh, self-control and, and holding back until someone does something in offense to God and is an enemy of God and it stands up for God. 
No, it's the exact opposite. It is pushing forward, using its force and coercion in ways that are themselves against God and the principles of God. So that is a very tricky one. And if you want to support the state uh, when it is acting this way, I don't see any way to make a good biblical argument for that. Uh, even in Romans 13, uh, when, well, and we'll get to that one day, but even there, it it does portray the state as, uh, well, one interpretation. It's another one of those where there's many interpretations. One aspect is that it's portraying the state in its ideal form, that the state does good to those who do good. It is uh, God's engine of wrath for those who do evil, and that that is the role of the state, and God gave it the authority to do so. Now, if that were the case, if if a state was truly acting in that way, then one could could make an argument that, uh, that a Christian should support that state. And uh, I, I would still have plenty of arguments against that, but... It is one that could be made uh, with some, at least some level of scriptural backing and integrity. However, when a state is not living up to that, when a state does evil to those who do good, when it kills innocent people, when it manipulates people and forces them into things and uses coercion to steer entire masses of people in one direction that it wants or the other and does not leave them over to their own free will, when these things exist then I, I don't believe there is any argument for uh, one supporting the state. And the state, again, is the exact opposite of meekness. You even have the second part of this verse, which I'm not focusing on the second part in uh, this coverage that I'm doing right now. But um, in this verse, it is how blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Well, you get this reference to the Old Testament, which I, I had mentioned before about coming into the land and kicking out the enemies of God. A lot of those were um, descendants of the the Nephilim, and you can go down rabbit holes with that as well. But, uh, but that's what they're told to do. And when you see this phrase, they will inherit the land. The land is specifically a reference to the land that God commanded Israel to take over and live in. And that is a direct reference. But again, like everything else, there are many interpretations here. There is also this end time um, interpretation of the new heavens and the new earth and uh, a reference in most of these beatitudes that in the end time, God will comfort you. In the end times, you will inherit this new land. And there's this future aspect as well. And uh, either way, it is something where it is referencing this principle that those who follow God's ways in the in the end will get the land. They will be the ones that will become the rulers. The first will become last. And they are the ones, the ones who are meek, the ones who are patient and long-suffering and gentle and following God's principles and his ways. Those are the ones, those are the ones that he will bless. Those are the ones that will make it in the end. And those are the ones we are to be as Christians. That's, that's the whole point. So then in the next section, you have uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 3. How blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, there are a few verses that I wanted to 
uh, go over in relation to this, and I'll tie them in in a minute, so you can just listen here. Um, going back to, again, the Old Testament, of course, you have Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and I'm doing the King James version here just because the complete Jewish Bible um, version sometimes is a little funky and harder to understand for us normal people, but... Uh, for the King James Version, it is, And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Then the next verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-10. through 10. For brothers, I don't want you to miss the significance of what happened to our fathers. All of them were guided by the pillar of cloud, and they all passed through the sea. And in connection with the cloud and with the sea, they all immersed themselves into Moses. They all ate the same food from the Spirit, and they all drank the same drink from the Spirit. For they drank from a Spirit-sent rock which followed them, and that rock was the Messiah." Yet with the majority of them, God was not pleased, so their bodies were strewn across the desert. Now these things took place as prefigurative historical events, warning us not to set our hearts on evil things as they did. Don't be idolaters as some of them were. As the Tanakh puts it, the people sat down to eat and drink, then got up to indulge in revelry. Let us not engage in sexual immorality, as some of them did, with the consequences that 23,000 died in a single day, and let us not put the Messiah to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by snakes, and don't grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroying angel. So, um, both of those are referencing roughly the same thing as the uh, people of Israel came out of Egypt and are going through the desert before they inherited the land. The manna that fell for the Israelites in the desert, like the aid that came to Yeshua in the desert, was of a heavenly source. The manna and the angels came from heaven, representing the spiritual. This is what we should hunger and thirst for. This is one of the purposes of fasting, to give up the physical sustenance in order to focus on the more important spiritual sustenance. One who truly says, thy will be done, will be filled. When we hunger and thirst for true righteousness, we will be rewarded. So let me pull out this passage as well from Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 28. So do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be uncovered, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What I whisper in your ear, proclaim to the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are powerless to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So the idea of seeking righteousness is one of striving for a satisfactory standing before God. This is not to insinuate that there is a line one must cross to be accepted. It is simply to say that all true believers seek to embody the ideals that God lays down. Our striving, our seeking, our hunger, and our thirst for this standing is one of the key characteristics of any believer. It could also be said that someone is hungry and thirsty because they aren't eating of God's table. One key message of Yeshua is that all sinners are offered forgiveness and admittance to his kingdom. The one who previously did not partake in God's righteousness now has access to his table. 
However, the ones who are viewed as being seated at this table now, the religious hypocrites, will be found lacking and hungry. The same is true in the secular sense, that those who are without food will ultimately be taken care of, whereas those who have much now will very likely go hungry at the time of judgment. So again, it's the same thing where you got all of these different dualities where on one hand, you could look at it secularly or religiously. You could look at it positively or negative, but all of these things are true all at the same time. And when you look at a parallel in Luke chapter 6, which is where you get a very similar sermon to the Sermon on the Mount, whether it is uh, some, uh, uh, probably a lesser amount of people, much lesser, would say that it is the same account. It's the same sermon. It's just got a different context and a different writer, and so it looks different, but it's the same thing. Um, Most would say that this is two separate sermons that Yeshua did, and uh, another option that could go on top of that would be that he, he taught the same thing multiple times to multiple groups of people in multiple places, and they weren't all exactly the same word for word, but it was all giving the same ideas. And I would say at a minimum, Yeshua is consistently preaching and teaching the same things for his entire life. So it doesn't really matter which one of those are actually true. The point is that he is consistent. And so when you see in Luke chapter 6, Um, I'll do two different verses, verse 21 and verses 25, just because it splits it up a little differently in these passages. But uh, verse 21 is, How blessed are you who are hungry, you will be filled. And 25, Woe to you who are full now, for you will go hungry. So again, it's talking about, um, it's it's looking at that in a slightly different light. And in Luke, it does phase more towards the secular. There is a passage that I guess I'll mention later on, but I can bring it up now because it relates to the previous one we just covered about mourning, where in Luke, he says uh, he references those who are laughing and those who are crying. So that is specifically um, talking about an outward, normal, worldly reaction. That's not a something that's being spiritualized. That's not necessarily a metaphor the way it's laid out in that section. And the same is true for some of the other Beatitudes as they are expressed in Luke, is that it is talking uh, more of the material sense of what is being said and less of the more metaphorical sense, uh, the immaterial. And uh, so, uh, Personally, what I would say is that while in Matthew, it seems like it is heavier, the the weight is put more on the immaterial. In Luke, the weight is put more on the material. And therefore, personally, I would see that as they are both very true, which is one of the points of looking at it from both of these perspectives, whether it's uh, religious and secular, whether it's positive and negative, whether it's material, immaterial, whether it's yourself or others, you can apply it to all of these different things and you get the same point. And uh, that's the really cool thing about it. So going back to this, the laws and regulations laid by the state are not based on God's righteousness, of course. The goals of the state are not in line with God's ideals. They are built around power and authority, around control, not service. The state is the one who can kill the body, but not the soul. Uh, as is referenced, um, that is not necessarily a reference specifically to the state, but it does apply to the state. The state exchanges the pursuit of righteousness, action, for a means-justifies-the-ends mentality. 
So instead of trying to be more righteous, instead of trying to follow after God's ways, instead of pursuing that, uh, instead of hungering and thirsting for this righteousness, it hungers and thirsts for power, for money, for control. And it does this as it, as it seeks these things and as it acts out this mentality, it does it through a means justifies the ends mentality, where it commits evil in order to reach those goals. And even if the state had positive righteous goals, uh, doing evil in order to get there is not a biblical principle. It is contrary and contradictory to the biblical principle of we are to not do evil, period. We are to stay away from evil. And uh, the state does the opposite. One who is focused on seeking God's righteousness will likely not simultaneously be seeking to control others or their possessions. Uh, Those things are, they, they are not compatible. So sometimes people do, they are deceived. Maybe they don't think about it. Maybe they don't realize it. Uh, Unfortunately, it's actually extremely uh, common in a way, because if you look at the idea of patriotism and statism, most of the Christians that are very uh, patriotic and supportive of the military and of the state and of wars and these types of things, most of them, I would say, just they honestly don't know the depth of the evil of the state. They probably honestly don't know that every single modern war we've been in has been based on a lie and uh, that the state is basically hell-bent on just killing people and amassing power and money and all of these things. Uh, they Most of them will admit, yes, the state's corrupt. Yeah, politicians are corrupt. Yeah, we, we went to the Middle East for oil, but... but we, we are protecting the freedoms of our country, and we're protecting our fellow citizens and, and the downtrodden in other countries. That's what we're doing. And it, I mean, that's a total lie. That, that's just not true in hardly any sense of, of the terms. And so, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people just don't, I guess, don't have the knowledge, d- don't seek it, uh, cognitive dissonance, and they just throw it out of their mind when the idea hits them. I don't know. I, it's hard. It's harder and harder for me to understand the... Uh, mentality and thoughts of normal people now that I have been uh, so steeped in this type of perspective for so many years. Uh, So yeah. But regardless, when you look at these things, again, it is contrary to simultaneously be seeking control of others and their possessions and be seeking after God, where we are supposed to be uh, meek and generous and uh, give free will to others. Since this is the very nature of the state, it is a contradiction to hunger and thirst for righteousness while also seeking the glory, control, and expansion of the state. Those are contradictory things. Every choice in our lives should be made in pursuit of righteousness. This orientation dictates that the means nearly always supersedes the ends, that we are to have this as the goal. Our ends should be righteousness, that yes, that is the goal. But again, especially in this mortal life, the whole point of our living uh, under God's control and living for God and living according to his principles, our entire lives is is means. That's what our life is made out of, is means. Our life is not made out of righteousness in heaven. That That is something that is a later thing. That is not the now. The now, our entire lives of now, is actions around the means. And the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount 
is what these means should be, how we should live, how we should attempt to attain the end, how we walk that path. Narrow is the road. That That's the whole point. And so when you have a, a state, when you have a system of any kind that that does not follow the means of biblical principles, then it is going against the entire teachings of Christ, period. And that is not one that a Christian can support. It, it's, it's not. It's, it's directly, as I've covered many times, and under the control and authority of the adversary, number one. But number two, its, its entire existence is contrary to biblical principle. And we are to seek to totally be under biblical principles. So there, there, there's a pretty big contradiction that goes on there. Now, I have said that nearly every time the means does not justify the ends. I say nearly only because of the principle of heavy and light, or what is the worst offense when either choice will cause offense. And that, that's you know an issue that unfortunately exists in our sinful world. There are times when there there is no way of avoiding uh, negative anti-biblical ends, that it will be bad either way. And in this case, the ends may at times make one choice heavier than the other or vice versa. Now, I've talked about the heavy versus light in other episodes going back to Old Testament principles, so I'll get into that again. But it's just this whole, um, it was an old Jewish way of assessing uh, these tricky situations is that there is this principle of heavy and light where the, both of them might be bad. And that just might be the situation that someone's in in the sinful world where either way they go, it's not going to be good. But one would be worse than the other. And in that case, yes, you take the one that is less bad, that is lighter and not heavier. This is not to be extrapolated to apply to the political realm of, well, one candidate is worse than the other, so I'm going to pick the lesser evil. Uh, That is not something you can do because you are not forced to pick either one. That, that's not something that's being forced upon you. Now, when uh, your action causes one thing and your inaction causes something else, um, that is something that you might directly be in this position to have this uh, heavy versus light scenario play out. But when it comes to uh, voting, when it comes to the state, that you do have the option of not supporting the state. And I, I, I think I'm painting this picture extremely clearly that that is the Christian option, is to not support the state. And so, uh, yes, you have some candidates that are better than others, but you are not forced to choose one or the other. That is not what's being forced upon you, period. And so, since it is not, uh, you cannot use this uh, heavy and light principle uh, to that scenario because th- that's not those aren't your only choices. At a bare minimum, you can find a random independent that's actually halfway decent. Uh, but in reality, the the state, the structure of the state itself is structurally anti-biblical, and so yeah, that that's what makes it really hard for a Christian to support the state. And the word support is a loaded term that comes with a lot of stuff. So. That's not to say that anyone involved in with the state in any way is is not a Christian. That, that's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the Christian, as, as this beatitude just spelled out that we just covered, how blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
someone who is truly hungering and thirsting for righteousness and seeking after righteousness is not going to be completely, um, I guess, completely supportive of something that is evil. They're not going to be involved in evil. They're going to at least strive to distance themselves from evil. And so uh, that is, that's more where I'm going with that, is that if supporting an entity that is structurally anti-biblical and that acts out evil things on a regular basis, um, it, if supporting that thing is an option and the Christian has a choice to support it or not to support it, the Christian's not going to support that if that Christian is, I guess, fully aware of the situation and is truly uh, trying to seek a more biblical biblical perspective and uh, hungering and thirsting for the righteousness in the form that is laid out according to Scripture. And so uh, that is what I mean by that. It doesn't mean that if you vote, you're evil and not a Christian, but it does mean that if we are looking at what is the biblical ideal for how a Christian acts and where a Christian puts their support and their time and their energy and all of these things, it is not in supporting an evil institution, period. And a Christian in today's world, in America, is not forced to make that choice. They are not forced to vote for someone or else you know, you're going to die. Like That's not the scenario. So, to avoid um, beating a dead horse, we'll move on, that in general, Christians focus on righteous means despite ends that affect us negatively, whereas the state focuses on beneficial ends despite means that affect individuals negatively. So uh, these are, again, direct opposites. So for a Christian, and again, you look at the life of Christ, perfect example of just about everything, but definitely here, where the means are righteous. He lived a righteous life, a sinless life. He, he lived his life, which means that he acted out the means of this equation completely righteously and sinless. And so everything he did was in that light, despite the ends that definitely affected him negatively, being beaten, being abused, being insulted, being killed, all of these things. Now, yes, in the end, God turned that to good, and uh, that is what the scriptures tell us, is that he does turn these things out uh, for the good of those that love him, and that is a principle where God takes care of us. It's kind of like the second half of all of these Beatitudes, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, or blessed are those who, uh, is it mourn? Yes, uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. It's that second half is um, that even though you may go through X, Y, Z, you, God will turn that to good and God will bless you. And uh, that's that principle there. So again, life of Christ, same thing. Even though Christ was abused and beaten and killed, uh, that turned into the greatest good in all the earth. And so uh, the point, though, is that how we live our lives, how we assess that means portion of the equation is that all of these means, all of our actions in our life should be focused on righteousness, should be focused on following biblical principles, all of them, despite 
the harm that that may cause to us, the uh, discomfort that it may cause us, despite uh, our lives not working out as well from a secular perspective and from a physical material perspective, period. Um, Despite that, we are still to follow the means. The Christians focus on righteous means despite the ends. Whereas, again, the state focuses on beneficial ends, and it's for the benefit of the state. Uh, You could try to bend that and say, oh, they want what's best for their citizens. Uh, No, they don't. But even if we pretended like they did, that's still focusing on those beneficial ends despite means that affect those individuals, same citizens, negatively. And that's not the way to go about things, at least according to biblical principles. The biblical principle is that you are seeking uh, the ultimate positive righteous end, and all of your means to get there are as much as you can in line with those ends and in line with biblical principles and in line with light righteous living. That is how it's supposed to be, that the means and the ends are God, uh, and that's it. However, again, when you look at this from a secular perspective, it might be, and often is, that when you're following Christian means and biblical means, that from a secular material perspective, you might have negative aspects of that in your life. So for now, I'm going to stop there. Uh, That does put us into a good uh, wrap-up point here, and we're creeping up on an hour, which is, in general, what I go for for the episodes. Um, Next time, we will pick up with mercy and peace. Uh, I'm sure you can see how those apply so well to the state. And so, uh, yeah, those will be interesting. We'll get into that, and I'll get into some other cross-references from Romans and 1 Corinthians and other places and uh, small testament stuff and we'll we'll carry on with the beatitudes there'll be probably one or two more episodes on that and then we will finally get into kind of the bulk of the sermon on the mount which will be pretty exciting we uh, specifically will get into salt and light first and that i don't know that might even be multiple episodes that's a really big one that's probably one of the biggest topics at least that i'll cover in the sermon on the mount but that's where we're headed And again, I do apologize, but it might be something that is not as regular as this podcast has been over the past few years. I kept up multiple years in a row of every single week, and the past year, it has moved to every other week, and lately has been roughly every other week, but sometimes a week or two off here and there. And so that's just the way it is. I apologize. That's just my life right now. And so I will do my best to get it out. Um as often and regular as possible. And thank you very much for those that are still supporting the podcast. There are plenty of people on the Patreon page is the main place who are financially supporting the show and giving a small amount of money every month to help pay for the hosting fees. And um, I actually needed a new microphone, or I currently need a new microphone. The old recording device that I use and microphone were having some issues. And so, yeah, that might be something I have to pay for. Uh, But also the hosting fees I pay for regularly and anything else. If I get more research materials, if I get a book that's directly related, some commentaries, things like that. um, Those are all expenses that I have that uh, is wonderful that at least up to this point, I've been able to pay for all of those with uh, supporter funds from you guys, listeners. And I I greatly appreciate that. I'm in a 
time in my life where right now, uh, not only is time extremely tight, uh, money is also <laughs> extremely tight. And so it's just one of those seasons in life where, uh, yeah, having that extra expense that I would have to fork out myself would not be a good thing at all. And so being able to do that with uh, your funds and your support is extremely appreciated. I really do appreciate that. So thank you very much. If anybody else is interested in supporting, then please do go to the Patreon page. There's a link for it in the show notes, or you could probably go on Patreon and search for our Foundations podcast, I would guess. Um, And then there's also a subscribe star option. If that's something that uh, you would rather do, some people aren't big fans of Patreon. There's also the direct option through cryptocurrency or heck, you could mail cash in the mail. There's lots of different options. Just reach out to me and ask and we can get it done. Um, But it would be great if more people could support the show and uh, help pay for all of these expenses that come up with running it. it. It's not a ridiculous amount, but it does add up and your help is greatly appreciated with that. Uh, in addition, thank you to anyone who has left a review or a rating recently. That is also something that really helps to uh, get the word out there and the podcast to spread and people to see it. And it pulls up on search results and all those good things. So thank you for that. And thank you just for being a listener. That's uh, kind of the whole point of this is to get these ideas out there to really dig deep into them so that not only can we learn more about these things and we be more educated about them, but that we then have the tools and we then have uh, the, the arguments and the biblical principles that we can turn to when we're talking about these things with somebody else. And so not only do we uh, create and uh, fully form and fine-tune our own worldviews, but it's, it also helps with discussion with other people who might be uh, very different than us, which is probably the vast majority of people we run into. So being able to back those things up and do that in a clear and decisive way and have a resource to go to, like that's the whole point of the show. And so hopefully that's what you're getting out of it. And um, I guess if there's anything else that you are looking for out of it, then please reach out. Please do email me if you have any questions, if you have feedback, if you have things that you want, uh, that you want to hear about, that you want uh, me to get into and do some more research on and explore more deeply. Please do reach out. Let me know. The email address is ourfoundations at protonmail.com, which is also in the show notes. So please do. And until next time, I'm out. Peace. This has been Our Foundations Podcast. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.